Hey, self. On this episode, I have Leilani Clark. And she has a powerful message that she wants to pass along. Hello, everyone. This is another episode of Cells Talking, and today I have Leilani Clark. Thank you so much mm-hmm. for being here. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I hear that you're coming down with the cold. Yeah, a little uh, bit. Yeah. It's that time, right? I've been actually dealing with allergies waking up again. Yeah, I don't it's, know if it's allergies, cold, it's, just a combination of the two. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's something I've been dealing with, and I've, I've been considering it. It's just that I haven't been really eating eating the best uh, food, foods, so I'm, I'm blaming it on that. But to begin, <laughs> um, what's your first memory? My first memory ever. Wow. I would say, hmm... My first memory, I think, is of, I think, real of the sky, really, in Tucson. I mean, I was born and raised here. I've been in the same house my whole life. Oh, like beautiful. when I came, I just recently moved back to Tucson, but right, my right. parents are still in Barrio Centro, where I was, where I was raised my whole life. And I just always remember, even to like an elementary school, I'd always color the sky with using like peach colors or yellow or orange. Wow. So I just, I really just remember like the sunset so much that was like a normal sky. And when I left, I'm just like, where's all the colors? Wow. <laughs> was it was what? All right, so where have you gone? Where have you lived? Um, well, really, I left Tucson in about 2011, uh-huh. and we can get more into that later in the show, but um, I really left my hometown due to reasons of sexual violence, um, oh. particularly within movement spaces. So it was just really uncomfortable, and I ended up leaving at the end of 2011, and I, I lived for six months in Palenque, Chiapas, so southeast of Mexico. I lived oh, in Belize wow. for a month. I lived in Virginia, and then my longest place that I ever called home besides um, Tucson was Las Vegas, Nevada. So I was there from September 2014 just until this past uh, September of 2017, and yeah, that was like the longest place I've ever called home besides Tucson. Wow. Mm -hmm. How was Palenque? It was beautiful. It was very. I had a friend that was already that was already living there um, with with her son, and then the. father of her son and just like where we were at I mean I just I really that was where I first chose to go to heal I know I need to leave the country I just need to like leave the surroundings of right. where I was at in Tucson so of course, of course. I was essentially just surrounded in tropical atmosphere where I was able to go visit La Zona Arqueológica just every day I was able to go if I wanted to I could just take a colectivo down and go up towards the ruins up at the very top of the mountains it's like jungle terrain on the on like there is a curve a very sharp curve that's leading right towards where the mountain starts to like have an incline a steep incline even farther to reach up to the to the archaeological zone you would stop at that curve though and then there'd just be a like a little pathway that would lead towards the clearing of waterfalls yeah, Las Cascadas Motiapa. So it was beautiful. So that was just wow. like, I really feel like I was led to places that just provided beauty constantly around my, my physical body just yeah. to absorb and yeah, just really be grateful That's for beautiful. the beauty that we have in this life to continue on forward. Wow. Now mm-hmm. you're a writer, right? Yep, yeah, I is, am. <laughs> is, that, is that like how like, is is that something like one of the first things you really got into as an, a form of expressing yourself? Or? Yes, definitely. Yeah. After like a few days, less than a week after I was assaulted, I first mm. wrote in my journal. Mm. And I, I guess I always wrote since high school, but this was like a time where literally writing became a form of survival. Of like course. I, I lost my voice. Like I, I faced an experience of rape culture where people really 
silenced the issue, dismissed it, um, victim blaming, shaming, all of that. So right. words that I didn't have the confidence to speak out loud, I just, I hid in my journals, in the pages right of down. my journals. And until I finally like was able to harness them where like here I can actually use those same words that I wrote like secretly to myself, just really having to validate my own words, my own truth, my own experiences again. Mm. I, I harnessed those words that I saved and got up to the point where I could perform a lot of those poetry pieces like in front of slam, slam poetry audiences in Las Vegas and elsewhere. So. Wow. Mm -hmm. And and when you were in like in Chiapas, did you did you uh, not Chiapas, Palenque? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, that's the same, the same place. Yeah, right? yeah, okay, Palenque okay. is in Chiapas. <laughs> right, right, okay. Um, did you did you use poetry over there? Um, or were not you so just much poetry, but song. There? In San Cristobal de las Casas, like there would definitely there's a big like a art venue out there. Like there's a lot of live performances going on every mm -hmm. single night almost. So um, we'd know some some different um, some musicians around. So actually, so I was able to sing a lot. I didn't necessarily use poetry, but I definitely did do a lot of jazz singing. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Goodness, how how old are you? Twenty five. Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I thought you were younger. Oh wow. Mm -hmm. Now, so I remember. I, I want. I guess. I guess it's sort of connected with what you mentioned a little yeah. earlier. There, there was a video that I saw of you uh, storming, maybe like what what seemed like a like a school board meeting. That was, was that, that, that was the Unidos takeover of the TUSD school board meeting on April 26, twenty eleven. Yep, and that was at the height, really, of like the ethnic studies struggle that was going on. I was really right. involved with those movements. Ever, I was a, I was a, a product of those of those classes. Right. Of I course. graduated from Tucson High in two thousand seven, and I was able to take Chicano literature for my senior year of high school. I also took American Government Ethnic Studies my senior year. Even outside, just from MAS, I was also in junior year. I took Native American literature. So I mean, wow. I, I definitely was a product of those you ethnic really, studies courses. You actually had access yeah, to them. And yeah. Yeah. Really and then. The next year, right after I graduated, that was the first time where we saw the first anti-ethnic studies legislature introduced. So that was SB 1108. Okay. And that was actually going to be affecting even the university level, where even wow. college campuses throughout the state, if you were to organize MECHA, if you were to organize NASA, Native American Student Association, NAACP, like all these like Black Student Association, if you were to organize, it would it was deemed illegal too. So that bill actually, like that was at the time too, we didn't have such a crazy governor that signed all this suppressive stuff in 2010. Janet right. Napolitano was still was governor, so she was all letting like local folks know if it got to her desk, like she'd veto it anyway. Right. But that was just the first time where we saw that that the that it was um, coming. yeah that that really like you had these calculate these calculated manipulative just politicians who were really striving to take away cultural like inclusivity in our in our classrooms and our history his, historical narratives that were being um, represented for the first time like in these classes our first exposure to it they were deemed illegal mm. so next year 20, 2009, that was when the second anti-ethnic studies legislature came out, because SB 1108, it failed. It, it right. didn't go anywhere. Yeah, yeah. That was 1069, and that was a judicial bill, and that ended up failing as well. Then the next year, though, was 2010, and that's when HB 2281 got signed into law, three weeks after SB 1070 got signed. So then here you are, you're like, you're, you're being told, like this large message from the state telling you that because of your physical appearance, you're now reasonably suspicious right. and enforcing re like legalized racial profiling. Mm -hmm. And three weeks later, you're told, okay, because of your cultural heritage and your cultural history and your knowledge, you're also deemed illegal in the state of Arizona. So it was just a very heavy, like heavy blow to our community, but we really 
valiantly move forward in a lot of grassroots resistance and the youth like students at the time I was just in my young 20s like we all and of course there was a lot of high school students that were still very much in the mix like we used direct action as a tactic to fight against against those those racist legislation Wow. Mm -hmm. So like, what was that experience like? Like, like the, the actual real protesting and stuff, like the mm. storming of the school well, board? Well that, meeting. you know what, that was actually a skill that I had learned the year beforehand uh -huh. because in April, April 20th of 2010, that was right before Senate Bill 1070 was going to be signed into law. Jen Brewer, she eventually signed it into law on April 23rd, 2010. Okay. But so April 20th, and that's like, and actually kind of even stepping back just a few a few days before that, because mm -hmm. it's so weird, like I'm kind of neurotic, I guess that makes me a good writer, but I tend to have like almost like, like, I don't know like what how they call that just like historic memory or so like you're or, pretty spot on yeah, with, the dates. with dates and I could remember days of the week too but so I remember wow. the Thursday before this action that I was involved in right. where it was called the Capitol Nine where I and eight other students we chained ourselves to the Phoenix State Capitol building wow. pretty much with the message saying that like creating a crisis for the state because our communities are going to be in crisis being right. like we will not physically remove ourselves from this Capitol building until you veto this bill or until right. it doesn't move forward of course and the thing was that right before that action that was on a Tuesday April 20th mm -hmm. that was the first time that the Tucson community really saw like like the setting the tone of how SB 1070 would lead for there's a huge statewide raid throughout the state of Arizona and Tucson we saw that here right. where buses were stopped I think it was on 12th Avenue and like some really? like a number of folks I want to say more than 70 folks got deported that day wow. and it was like the first time where we witnessed this level of raids that Phoenix was very accustomed to but we right. have we but see Tucson was more yeah Tucson do, does not see levels of raids like that in more more or less though we see violence that's really directly impacted by how close we are to the border border right. to militarization is definitely Definitely bleeding out into the infrastructure of the rest of the state and right. Tucson we're a city that's only 86 miles north of the border yeah but so anyway that's what led to that where there was some organizing taking place between Tucson folks and then Phoenix folks that was really ASU Mecha who was really hosting that that action and that was the same where we chained ourselves so that was the same concept I learned that skill and adapted that to our local movement here where we also used chains to tie ourselves to the chairs of the school board members before the meeting would take place on April 26 that's what you guys yeah. did, right? You yep. guys ran into the chairs. Exactly. How did that go? Like, what, what, what was their reaction <laughs> to it? Well, I, it I was, it like was successful because we said that, like, we are... Our objective that day was to stop this vote from taking place. And this vote, I mean, like here, so the bill was read, HB 2281, again, this is the anti-ethnic studies bill. Mm -hmm. Any school district in the state of Arizona teaching ethnic studies would have 10% of their federal funding withheld by the State Department of Education every month. So for TUSD, that was going to look like about $3 million a month that was going to be cut because they were teaching, because the Ethnic Studies Department, and essentially really targeting Mexican-American studies was in, a, was in operation. Right. So what, what um, TUSD school board members, what they proposed, mostly it was Mark Stegeman. So you see this definitely like good guy, bad guy situation where a lot of conservatives, you can definitely see like the more, or even liberal, but liberal business-minded folks that do not take into effect that this is a really white supremacist law. Mm. Um, they they had the idea. Well, let's just convert the classes into um, into elective courses. And see, the thing was, when I was in ethnic studies, when I took Native American literature in junior year, that was all I needed to take for a literature course. You had the option to have your regular literature courses or history courses that was going to serve as your prerequisite to graduate. So if you wanted to take Chicano literature, African American literature, Native American literature, that was going to 
count as your credit that you needed to graduate. Oh, really? Yeah. Versus, so this is so what I'm, they propose. I'm, I'm They're like, now it's an elective. So now you still have to take U.S. literature, right. but then you also can take a Chicano literature. And what student, what high school student is going to take two literature courses, two history courses? Like that was just a, a way to hit the nail oh on the coffin and right. do so like in a hands-off type of way. Like, okay, well, we'll just set this program up for failure, but then dust our hands clean. So we knew that, that the program, and we knew at the time there was five school board members and three of those members were going to vote against us. We knew that. Mm. So we're just like, well, what's the best way to do it? Let's just make sure the vote doesn't happen. Right. So that's when we took over the school board, um, the, that meeting before the actual meeting actually started, wow. and they weren't able to hold the meeting that day. That's so... <laughs> what an event how did it, yeah how did it feel being in there like, like it just it felt amazingly powerful because how much community was pre- I mean that is it's a public building TUSD right. it was the old 1010 building at the time over there near um, a little bit near Tucson High along along Broadway but it was just very like we took over we, mm-hmm. it when it was so beautiful like people like we even had like like a not mariachi performer but a guitarist came and was singing like you just had the whole aspect of community just like mm-hmm. taking back their space and having that recognition that validation that we have every right to be here in this building and to set the tone of how we want the education how, how we want education to be in our community mm-hmm. so it was so multi-generational you saw nanas and tatas and young students too like LM. it was just a really beautiful sight and just like we, we packed up the place people yeah. couldn't even sit they were all standing wow it's, it's, this is really interesting for me because for me, this all happened in my peripherals. It never really affected me, and I knew it was going on, mm-hmm. but it didn't. It didn't really affect me. I ended up from. I mean, my high school was like in a, in a, was a Catholic private school. Uh-huh. So like I didn't, I didn't even get a chance to take those yeah. classes, and um, and it's just like, it's just the thing that happened, and I just moved on. Mm-hmm. And now later, now this is around the time it's coming back, and it's coming back and. Forefront for me because it's been it's been a subject that I've been up mm-hmm. like brushing up against uh-huh. since I've started this podcast. Oh, okay, that's great. And I've been like becoming friendly with people and everything. Mm-hmm. It's been coming up a lot, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's interesting to know that. Did that affect your or did it influence your writing? Did it did it have something to do with your writing? How how did you? process all that and with your writing I guess or, or how did that coexist I wrote a piece about that but mm-hmm. really at the same time my life was personally going through crisis mm-hmm. because you mentioned of, this yeah right? Right. so this is actually really an interesting type of like dynamic to that whole point right. so that was April 26 2011 uh-huh a little bit less than a month before that, there was a film that had come out to the Tucson community on March 24th, 2011. Uh-huh. In the middle, so I was mentioning a bit about the whole struggle for ethnic studies, and in 2008, that was when the movement really started to pick up steam because we saw the first piece of anti-ethnic studies legislation in 2008. Mm. Two filmmakers entered into our community to begin documenting this, this, this movement, this youth and student-led movement. Mm. Um, I was featured in that film at one point, on the opening night of that film on March 24th, 2011. It was a beautiful thing. Like it was the first time like where we felt like we could really celebrate something because we were always used to like protesting out in the streets, marching, like really like heavy confrontation all the time. We always felt that. So this was the first time. What was something you guys made and created something? We're all, yeah. Which is again, it came out from two people that are outside of our community. But um, yeah, the opening night of the film, the director sexually assaulted me Mm. and Pretty much the the recourse for that was that what eventually happened is that my part was just edited out of that 
out of that movie so wow. that it can continue on with fundraising purposes for the lawsuit, continue to spread the narrative of the MAS um, history in Tucson, which now I was cut out of after all the years worth of work that I've done for that movement. Wow. So it like very much loosed focus upon our values when the whole fight was about the inclusion of historical accuracy in the classroom and right. uplift, mar uplift marginalized voices of history. Right. And yet here and we are showing this edited piece of history right. to unknowing audiences around the country. Wow. So that's like, so there's so many different layers where now not only are we dealing with racism, but we're right. dealing with inherent sexism. Mm -hmm. Inherent just again, like when you look at um, gendered violence of this sort, I mean, there's always right. that power dynamic where you ask the question, who is more susceptible to violence? and who's going to be less advocated for. So you could look at that in terms of race. Obviously, we live in a white supremacist society where white people have more privilege and are going to be more catered towards versus people of color. Mm. We also live in a heteropatriarchal society, so where you have straight men who are going to have more of that privilege and that availability to have platforms serve for them and that's going to disregard everybody else. So there's all these intersections, because at the same time, I'm also a person of color, but I'm also right. a woman. Right. So I felt those brunt forces that were happening of this, this level of oppression that we internalized and really started to replicate in our own movement spaces. Mm. So that's really like my calling effort right now, because unfortunately, I, I, the MAS movement currently in 2018, even with the fact that the lawsuit now was actually overturned this past fall of 2017, mm. but just how telling that was, was that the victory celebration was held in LA versus in the community that we're fighting for. So that just shows this level of alienation that never has come to terms that was never healed because all of this unacknowledged internal violence that was, mm -hmm. a, was really well known throughout like the small circles of folks who were organizing in this right. movement. And unfortunately, it set like a precedence for like, okay, we're not gonna handle sexual assault. So we're not gonna handle any other problematic behaviors that may arise too. So mm -hmm. there was so much other forms of just like, for instance, power dynamics where adults are really using youth, like not like, like they're gonna be having meetings in bars that youth don't have access to, and then reporting to the next day, oh yeah, this is the plan, this is the strategy, and you guys gotta carry it out this way. And again, these are just kind of word of mouth. I had already left Tucson by that time. I left right. because of all this because stuff. Of what happened with, there, right? Yep, and so I just kind of heard through the grapevine, yeah, this is the dynamics taking place in Freedom Summer of 2012. Mm. And then too, of course, you also had a very, like a, a public issue of the director of MAS who also had, that was charged with domestic violence. So all these different layers of just like internal conflict and forms of violence, internal violence, but also at the same time taking into the historical context that we are a people surviving violent capitalism and white supremacy and bird like colonized patriarchy like yeah patriarchy that is rooted from colonization so mm -hmm. recognizing that we're all coming from our different forms of healing but really having to take that initiative to do deep self-reflection and be like oh yeah these are these power dynamics involved that may give me this opportunity to be able to silence an issue like sexual assault or mm. rape culture or anything like that and then just pretend like everything's fine and dandy but then right. at the same time i left because of that and unfortunately that's a very common scenario when violence does happen in movement spaces the person who is harmed is usually the one to leave and then the person who either perpetuates the harm or the person who, again, this folk, these folks weren't even from our community, but because they created something that our community so loved and dear, mm -hmm. quote unquote, like they, like, 
it just allowed this level of just like, oh, well, we'll deal with the, we'll deal with it later. That's not an important right. issue. We're dealing with racist Arizona right. versus we're like focusing one thing exactly versus Can't like, deal with this but other we're thing. losing our organizing ground. And right. most of the worker bees right. in that movement were young women of color. So when you start to create this platform where you don't even feel safe in your same organize in your organizing space, you're going to leave. And away. so that movement, honestly, I look at that as like a case study of how gendered violence and internalized and internal violence that is left unacknowledged how that completely can defeat a movement from the inside out it was oh, like a cancer completely. completely i can see that already yeah so that wow. was weird because then april 26th i mean i still did it i i still like i was just still in this place of mind where you're just like focused and at a at a very numb level though because i mean right. it was just less than a month than what had happened to me after the film premiere mm -hmm. but um yeah, I mean, I just, I, I look back now and I can't believe, like, I was only 22 at the time when all that was taking place, and so I'm just very, I'm very grateful of the journey, what led me there, and be able to look back, and what kept me to look back is my writing. Like, again, I started to write six days right after the film premiere, and I have well over, probably close to 40 journals right now just breaking apart everything and kind of tying that to like, oh yeah, that's how we internalized X, Y, and Z in our spaces of like, we're internalizing these same forms of violence and oppression that we're, that we're wanting to fight against. But then how can we move forward with those values still intact if we're starting to replicate those same violent patterns? So it was just all a very interesting phenomenon. It's, it's interesting. I, I feel like um, when you're fighting the monster, you have to be careful not to turn into the monster. Exactly. And that's like, I feel when communities can really start to internalize capitalism, like mm. their whole pros of that is like, is like Machiavelli, like, oh, the ends justify the means. Right. And that's like capitalism's like life and blood, like right. we'll do whatever it takes to get up on top. So right. I feel like this was a sense we internalized that same sentiment. The ends justified the means. We got to save these classes. We got to get right. this, which again, too, I mean, it's up for debate about what the strategy should have been. It just went all to a lawsuit versus there's still there's still spaces for community to build and grow and also fight and resist in their own ways outside of a lawsuit. Mm -hmm. But it's because of like because of just that that culture that was created by just dismissing what had happened. And then I, I left and everybody started to realize what the reason was I that left, left for. for. And it just created this just like it's it, like alienation so many people were just shocked and disappointed and to this day it's never really like dismayment well, yeah there's there's never been that that space to actually have reconciliation and healing and just to right. like reflect and be like whoa this is what happened and this is how we have to grow forward right mm -hmm. that's 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 interesting it's uh it's sad, but it's, it's it's interesting to see that dynamic. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like it's something prevalent in in yes. in, in, uh, in groups of people, mm -hmm. in groups of people who try to like go and do something and accomplish something. Mm -hmm. The goal ends up blinding them from the mm -hmm. the their peripherals, mm -hmm. and what they're causing, what mm -hmm. they might be doing, what they might be brushing up under the rug, and uh, like even like how you said it was all an internalization of like mm -hmm. what they were fighting, mm -hmm. and like. The brushing under the rug is something that the, the, the society itself loves yeah, to do. Yeah, and that's like the aspect of ethnic studies. In ethnic right. studies, like it, like what mainstream the educational system of the U.S., they don't want to talk about Native American genocide because it makes them look bad. They don't want to talk about African slavery because it makes them look bad. Right. So let's not talk about it. Let's not teach it. So then what happened with this movie, we don't, we don't want to talk about it because it makes it look bad. So let's not talk about it. It's like same dynamics. <laughs> the like same there's, dynamic. there was no way that you cannot see the hypocrisy uh, in that. So I'm 
like, you know what, y'all do your thing. Uh, I, I'm going to bounce. I got to leave. So that's really what led me on this journey. That right. was like seven years that I really left Tucson. And so with that leaving of Tucson and, and uh, you going off and, and living a life outside, mm-hmm. how was... How, was it when you left Tucson was it the first time you ever left Tucson yeah for that amount of time and even during that whole time like in the summer like um, that's when the film just was starting to show up again like we had um, we initially had talking circles and in the first one with some of my teachers there was an agreement yeah we're not going to move forward with the film then I leave like starting May 3rd because the next Tuesday right after the school board meeting after the takeover on April 26th that day was just filled with state reciprocated violence like there was seriously like i've never seen that much cops in my life in tucson like it was wow. swat team they had the shoulders the shield. i mean you had the helmets the shields the batons like the dogs the helicopters were all going they closed the street leading up to 10 10 like they were on the rooftops with rubber bullets like just waiting for the for the call to if they were going to act and it was like middle school kids some elementary school kids they did not see that we were a community they just saw that we were an enemy right so and that was really intense violence and after that that was kind of like that last thing that just snapped i couldn't handle anymore so i left i decided to go to sacasa that's the southern arizona center against sexual assault mm. starting to go to therapy and then all of a sudden the film just shows up again like save ethnic studies just wow. starts to they have a community event where they show the preview of the film um, they use it for a, a point in a talking like discussion at this event and then all of a sudden it's going to the LA International Film Festival in the summertime in New York International Film Latino International Film Festival in the fall time and I just I know that my part is cut out and that was the way that it's going to be dealt with but so I yeah so I I, I left eventually because I mean that's like I mean it was just bad I mean yeah. really like you're surrounded by the remember exactly like, uh, and it just got to the point I was really suicidal I mean even too just dealing with the trauma like rape it's very like if you're going through like I didn't realize at the time but I actually have journal entries where I can write where I'm writing the symptoms but I had really bad PTSD wow and every time I went out into the community everybody's like oh I love your movie poster and da 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 and I was just like numb I was just a robot I was mm. like yeah, it was a good film premiere, even though, like, I know all these other stuff's going on. And right. and then the one thing, I mean, you get into your thoughts, like, suicidal num- like suicidal thought number one of the day, every day you wake up, is that I'm not better than a movie. A movie's better than me. So I started to really internalize those and mm. didn't trap faith in my voice anymore, faith in my words, faith in me. So eventually I just knew, I'm like, if I stay here, I will not make it. I will not. I. I just. I know I won't make it. Or if I do, I will just be a broken person. Good that for you for being recover. in tune like that. Yeah. So yeah. I left though, and again, like I, I was very blessed though with different journeys that took me to took mm-hmm. me to lands. Like it was so. I'm born and raised in Tucson. Yeah. But I'm mixed race. My father's African American. My mother's Native American. Nice. She's Navajo and then um, Tewa from Santa Clara Pueblo in northern Mexico. Okay. So that when after like in the summertime when I had left Tucson like initially. Um, I, that was the first time I like I spent home. I spent time at home with my dad's side of the family in the Bay Area. I lived out there for like a month. I lived out too with my mom's side of the family for another month. That was the first time I participated too in our ceremonies. Every August 12th, we have our dances. Every pueblo out there, there's about 19 around the Rio Grande River area, and we all have our own different feast day. So yeah, it was just it was like it also brought too a lot of a lot of just reconnection with myself as a native and black woman that I didn't have access to here in Tucson. Right. Of so course. it's like this whole full circle where yeah. I was really it 
I, I don't think I would have allowed myself permission to leave Tucson for so long had something like this not happened that completely disconnected me from my source. I mean, I started youth, I started organizing since I was a junior in high school. So I was very, very adamant about always having to be at every press conference, every rally, every march, everything. And it was to the point where years went by and I just never took breaks. Mm. So finally after this, it was the first time I left Tucson for that long and I just, yeah, it was just a, just a time to just be grateful for the work that I did do and say, and very humbling too, to realize like the movement will continue on without you. And that's all right. It's very, it's both humbling, but it's also very freeing at the same time. Of course, because then you can be you. Exactly. Your identity doesn't fall in this like movement. Yeah, it's not like gone. constructed in ego. And when ego gets involved, you trap yourself in like this solid structure where you have no mm. movement for growth. And movements have to be able to, we have to be like fluid. We have to work mm. like water. Our conditions are always changing. Yes. And so we have to adapt to those conditions. Entirely. And when we trap ourselves in solid structures being like, oh, well, this is the way that things are always done. Or this person's in charge of this. And it's like, and there's not that room for flexibility. That's yeah. when we set ourselves up for failure. Entirely. Mm -hmm. You got to have both. Exactly. But you can't be, you can't be, you can't be entirely stuck in structure and you can't, entirely without it at the same yeah time. without like no structure that'd be just nuts like at least some sort of platform yeah. that's down but also that ability yeah that it's movement it, to grow that wiggle shift. room yeah that, yes. exactly i like that shape shift room. yes yes entirely i, <laughs> I agree with that um mm -hmm. So how was it living in Vegas? Because I'm guessing most of your mm -hmm. that was another place you stayed most of your life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, how I lived there for three years. I got out there to do a job. I was a strategic researcher for a labor union out there with okay. building trades. It was so crazy because that was like my first job experience again after wow. leaving Tucson from an episode like this. Right. And then I'm kind of immersing myself in a world where it's just like white sexist constructionist dudes on the top just like telling like calling the shots i'm like how does this even happen but hey i took the journey i got the job opportunity like i knew i wanted to leave tucson again in that time i think i was living for tucson in nine for nine months oh, okay and so i've been in and out of tucson but mm. it never really felt like home like i would right. still be very something, like just something super still was yeah just super angry dysfunctional mm. like i just it got to the point like i would i do and like i would still obsess about things to the point where i'm not eating good or sleeping good and just like i i know that now I recognize when things trigger me to the point where it's unhealthy and at that time like 2014 I was like there was actually a play called Mas that Mas. came out by and was from Borderlands theaters okay um, Mark and Milta Peñate, they actually, and um, Mark Peñate, Milta Ortiz, they actually came to Tucson from the Bay Area, and they live here now. Um, and they came because they heard about, like, the ethnic studies movement. They definitely, they wanted to, like, make a docudrama about this that mm. used a lot of personal, historical, like, just this, um, just narratives that we were sharing. Yeah. Then, as they're talking with more people, they're starting to hear, oh, this also happened. And this film, all, like all these different things that just completely saw, like, they're, like it was so much layer. So they yeah. eventually got in contact with me and wow. I did extensive interview process with them. And wow. there's a character based on me. So that was actually, so Mas the Play is the first time that my, like that story Your has story, ever yeah. been valid, like has ever had a platform where it's wow. even recognized up to this day I mean it's still like in like the mainstream official Tucson MAS story I mean I'm just I, I was like Voldemort like she who should not be named let's just right. pretend she never existed right. yeah. <laughs> but um so Mark and Milta though they did this play and in 2014 it was just a very they were started it I think 2013 and 
it was a very hard process because at the same time like the community like that all participated to have their interviews to become parts of like narratives for this play mm -hmm. we would sit in talking circles I think it happened twice oh. where we we're viewing parts of the play and it was the first time like I ever saw my teachers again for the first time after wow. everything and there's just still such this just this cold just, just like just a, yeah as a distancing they knew what they did yeah or, and it's just like this this lack of acknowledgement still mm -hmm. but anyway so I just was mad again that was getting that was getting me to really bad places so mm -hmm. my friend at the time she was the one who had that job position before and she was gonna be traveling so she's like Leilani I know you're thinking about leaving Tucson so there's this job opportunity cup in, in but you got to move to Vegas I'm like okay I'll try it out that's where I ended up Wow so that was crazy I feel like kind of like like a superwoman or so because during the daytimes I had my, 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 my regular eight to five work gig at yeah. an office but then in the nighttime that's when I'd be doing like my whole open mic spiel like that was yeah. the, every single night of the week wow. there's something going yeah. out there and really? yeah such a beautiful community everything wow. outside the strip the strip yeah. is more black hole I mean everybody should just see it experience <laughs> it but it's like if you live there nah locals do not go to the strip unless they're working or that right. family member that calls like hey I've had the Mariah you're like but, <laughs> but yeah so I'm that's where like really I started just to practice using my voice more. It was so much comfortable to be able to share journal entries that I had from like 2012 or poetry pieces right. that were really heavy. And if I shared in Tucson, I mean, everybody knows like everybody like would, or it felt like that, like knew what I was talking about. Right. Versus here I'm in this new community, in this new like city, this environment where nobody knew my backstory whatsoever, let alone didn't right. even know so my you name. Could, you could. So just had this freedom yeah, just to like go soul. all out. Yes, here you in my can't, You exactly. can't connect it to nothing. Yeah, but here you exactly. Go. And that was I so beautiful because so many Vegas that. artists, like there was that platform in the open mic scene where people are sharing heavy stuff and you're mm. like, I don't even know you but I've been there mm. it's like the same sentiments you can relate with them and you're just mm. like and that's the beauty the power of art you make yeah. bridges that literally bridge people's souls and hearts together of course regardless of even if we shared the same journeys you have the sense of understanding that I think art is able to convey in ways that are outside of any other structure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah so I just got I that was that kept my sanity in Vegas the open mic scene I was actually um, co-hosting Las Vegas's longest running weekly open mic oh wow called the human experience LV and oh, so that awesome. was every single Monday night so every time I was hosting I mean I always had to prepare my own set so every single week uh, I was doing at least once performance on top of like the fact that there's the an open ones. mic every first every first Tuesday of the month every first and third Wednesday of the month like wow. every first Sunday of the month there's always something going on and it was just a beautiful That's so community. interesting mm -hmm. wow. it's not something you would think from like Las Vegas yeah I was really <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised when I was first out there before I found that scene I literally was escaping back to Tucson like every every other week oh like really? every other weekend I was literally making the oh, six-hour drive back yeah so I just hide out in hole. Tucson and then I drive back but then afterwards when I found that how scene. Did you like, how did you discover the um, scene? So every first Friday, they have something called... Oh, <laughs> they have something called First Friday and First Friday. Right. So it's like an art walk, and it's pretty oh. much think of like a 4th Avenue street fair, but like lasting city blocks. Well, it used to at the time. They really downsized it a bit. It's Shame. like gentrification's really hitting Vegas hard right now, too. Right. Like a lot, a lot of it. Setting everything yeah. in there. Yeah, so there was this really cool community spot. It was called... Um, 
Oh my gosh, I, I forget the name right now. And poor thing, it was also another an, a victim to gentrification where it, it eventually closed down. But it was like art making co-op where you could pay wow. like five dollars, and um, and then like the whole day you had access to all the art supplies just to make art. So they wow. had an all ages open mic every first Friday, and I just happened to be walking on the street and I saw like the platform for the mic and saw the people performing. So I went in there, and then after that they're like, oh yeah, tomorrow or Saturday, Sunday you got to go to Soul Sessions. Monday you got to go to Human Experience. And did it and all these other things and so it kind of got me hooked. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I get that. I, I sort of did the same thing to Tucson because I felt so alien to my own city that I had to like find a way to do it. And, yeah. Uh, Tucson Weekly actually brought me to the Words on the Avenue. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I didn't, if I didn't read the Tucson Weekly, I would have never known about it. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh, I miss it too. I I'm know. so respect. <laughs> I'm really glad though that like the creator to raise just like that's so important just to be creating like just self care mm-hmm. sometimes if we're just like well you know it's yeah. not really sustaining my soul in the way that that's it that I originally expected that project to be how right. I created it in mind I mean it's good just to respect that process and well they had a lot going the on towards, yeah yeah, they had yeah. A lot going on so yeah. like so um it had, to, it had to do what it had to do. Yeah, so. pass the torch for other community members to create our own space now where we can be sharing poetry again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really messed. It's very messed. Yeah. Have, have you, have, do you know any other area, any other places that are akin to I heard there's some poetry like at Owl's Club. I heard, oh, I missed okay, last yes, Tuesday, yes. I think. So I was what there. was that, the 13th? Was it? Was so there. it was a poet, yeah, like yeah. people of color poetry it's event. It's people of color poetry. Oh, okay. uh, Julia actually runs it. She's over there behind you actually. Oh. Okay. Yeah, she, she's behind you. Um, you should talk to her. She'd probably love to have you on. She's on the she, oh, glasses. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, she had me on, and uh, there was like, it's like she, only, she they usually only have like four poems mm-hmm. or four poets, mm-hmm. and uh, that's it. Like, like they present, they present how much, how many ever, um, like, you got to present maybe for like ten minutes, mm-hmm. and then, oh, okay. uh, and then you're done. Oh wow! That's that's it. It's a different feeling, but it's uh, it's, mm. it's, it's you're able to share. Yeah, hey, it's something. We yeah. need definitely need something to fill that void. Very true. Very true. What are you? Uh, oh, mm-hmm. actually, to go on, you, there was something that you wanted to to talk about yeah. specifically. You wanted to get on the podcast before <laughs> the 11th, right? Yes. What's happening okay, the 11th? So kind of since you were able to hear like my own personal narrative, how I was impacted by sexual violence, and again, just this rape culture, which is really just conditioning us to silence that sort of violence, Mm. dismiss it, and then also to go to victim blaming and shaming, all of that, like I felt all of that, and that is a, that, that, that kills people. I mean, there's a lot of folks that we, I would say like, are victims of sexual assault because it really did kill them. Like like, the rates of suicide and just all sorts of things are just very bad. And again, this is like, rape is not anything to do with like, it's nothing to do with sex. It's nothing to do with like, oh, a misunderstanding. Like it is inherently a crime based upon overpowering another person. So perpetrators, I mean, whether alcohol is involved or all this other stuff, I mean, they're making the choice to, yeah, just to impose their power over someone regardless of their boundaries, regardless of them being able, of them not consenting or not even being able to consent. Mm-hmm. But so anyway, that was like, this was all really eye-opening for me to see how prevalent it is. And then what was worse is that how much I knew, how much I heard of my own personal friends going through this. Mm. And just, and too, being a, being a Native American woman, African American woman, I mean, I, I, yeah, I come from a history of where there's a long legacy of historic trauma, like mm. just from the founding of this country. I mean, right. 
sexual violence and conquest go hand in hand. Right. But so anyway, so my a lot of my passion coming back to Tucson has been having tough conversations like this and really wanting to revisit, hey, what happened in 2011? Let's analyze all that just so that it can be a learning lesson because right. if we are not able to use this as a learning, as an experience that other communities can also learn from too so that people can just learn how to have true accountability, how to make it holistic, how to make it survivor-centered, how to make sure that um, it's coming from a way that's, that's again, just this a platform of healing. All of that will be in vain. So I'm really looking forward to educate more on that. But this year specifically, I've been really involved in with the Take Back the Night's um, events annual planning. So Take Back the Night is an annual event raising awareness on sexual assault and empowering survivors. It's it's pretty much, it's a national event, even world now, a worldwide event that oh, started really? in the 1970s because that was when the issues of, just like the disproportionate rates of violence that women were facing, like it really started to like get into public conversations in the 70s. Wow. Tucson first heard, first held their first annual Take Back the Night event, organized by local community in 1979. And ever since it's been like a march, it's, a, it's an event that's having art, performers, speakers, that's really, um, again, just, just raising the issue on sexual assault and how do we empower survivors to step forward. Mm. So this, this coming up event, Take Back the Night, it's on Wednesday, April 11th. It's going to begin at 5 p.m. It's gonna go on till about 9 p.m. We're gonna start with the march. And it's held in South Tucson, so it's actually gonna be at the YWCA's House of Naylor Services. Oh, wow. It's 243 West 33rd Street. And we've been having it in the on the South Side very like consciously and for like the, um, the past couple years, just because we are very conscious of the fact that sexual violence also carries with it so many different power dynamics where issues of like identity politics for instance like um, immigration status language barriers disability race gender sexual identity all those things are going to impact again who's more susceptible to violence and who is less advocated for so we definitely want to have a community event that's fostered in a community that's that's very much that's um, in need versus like okay well you got to travel all the way to the east side or to u of a or some some sort of other place just right. to be able to read to have services because at our event not only is it in march we're also having a community resource fair where like our our different um community allies like sakasa that's where i went for therapy they'll be there having tables um emerge domestic um that's the center against domestic assaults or domestic abuse, yeah, Center Against Domestic Abuse, um, SAFE, the Southern Arizona AIDS Foundation. We're gonna also, too, we're gonna have a little bit of, just a downplay on some notes right now, just to help me on through with this. Let's see, we're gonna be, too, we're gonna be having, um, so it's a night filled with music, poetry, arts, dance, we're gonna have self-care yoga, that's four to 5 p.m., so an hour before the actual event starts. Um, also, our keynote speaker is Nidia Contero, and she is the general secretary of Pensuagro, and that's the largest um, union of rural agricultural workers in Colombia. And she's going to be direct, she's directly spearheaded internal organizing within the group to really fight for a woman's rights to live and work without violence in their life, and also tying in the levels how global imperialism is really using is really spreading this this violent displacement in the global south mm. and often how like for instance in colombia 70 percent of the of displacement is suffered by women and children and a lot of the and a lot of the tactics that are being used by these paramilitaries who are working alongside both the government and these transnational corporations who are entering into these countries right. most of them u.s canada whatever private security paramilitaries i mean sexual violence is a tactic that is used so she's going to be our keynote speaker, 
And we're also to the heart of the event is the survivor speak out. So that's the one, that's the portion of the night. We're having two portions where survivors are able to take the mic and share their story and like to open understanding community. For the first time, a lot of people actually word and voice out their, their stories out loud. But we also recognize too how hard that journey is, let alone on a mic. So this is the first year we're going to be actually having different alternatives. So for, for survivors to voice their experiences. So we're going to have a banner that survivors can write their experience on. Also supporters um, can write just words of support. And then we're going to be having a box, a station where survivors can write their experience, place it into a special take back the night box. And at the end of the event, we're going to burn it in like a ceremonial release of just trauma, pain, just everything is like right when we can voice these words, whether if it's written or spoken word, mm-hmm. it's just a feeling of just a freedom. So that's that's Letting really it. what we want to embody that night, just to be able to break through the silence. Wow, wow, that's a, that sounds like a great night. Yeah, thank you. Like leading, yeah, night. and so I've just been busy bee because leading up to the event as well, we're also having Organizing a. Um, a film screening of amazing powerful documentary oh my god we i just pre-screened it on saturday because i'm helping out organ i'm going to be moderating uh, the post-film discussion we're bringing the director in too but the film is called no the rape documentary and it's all about sexual assault but within the african-american community and also seeing like ways that we're healing that we're surviving that we're also putting it into the historical context of yes we are a people that have internalized white supremacy that have internalized violent like capitalism and patriarchy as well so, um, so yeah, the director, Aisha Shaida Simmons, she's going to be present with us tomorrow night. It's going to be at the Loft Theater. It's um, That's tomorrow, April 3rd. Oh, yeah, sorry, your podcast yes, is on no, Wednesday. Okay, well, y'all, yeah, it was a good event. You're going to miss it. Yeah, you're going to miss it, but it's a good event. Yes. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for yeah, sharing for sure. that. And I hope everybody who, who's listening is interested. Maybe spread the word, too, on your end, if you can. Wow. Um. Where are we at? Where are we at? Um, we're at 45 minutes. I believe maybe your meeting starting. Is that 6 Oh, great. Yeah. So no, if anything, we can end it like, we can end it right there. Um, if you want, you can yeah, share. You're going to um, have to take back the night part. You can just cut off that last about the film. Oh. Whichever. Yeah. Okay. I don't okay, really, cool. I don't really edit it unless people really ask me okay, to. Cool. So, um, if you want, you can say one, a couple last words or you can yeah. just let them know where they can find you. Yeah. Um, Right now, so my name is Leilani Clark, and you can find me on Facebook right now. So L E I L A N I Clark. Um, I've just been doing a lot of different, like using my art as a slam poet, as a musician, well, singer, as a yeah, just different different platforms of art. Like this has been the way I've not only been able to heal, but convey my story just in a way that we can understand how detrimental this influence of violence is impacting our movements like i'm at the point right now where i want to do that slow seed work in order to ensure that our movements remain sustainable Smart. and that they continue on in the future because we can be fighting 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 against all we want but if we're not even able to be real willing work. to fight what is killing us from the inside mm. then that's when like all of like i just i saw like years worth of work like almost obliterated just overnight because of decisions to not want to acknowledge and hold space for this what we should have like all handled in a in a, in good ways in a community setting so castles built on sand exactly yes so i'm i'm more for that point where you know what even if the foundation takes a long time to build and we don't necessarily see it that's just but the it's seeds. worth it exactly seeds grow starting from the root we don't yes. see their little sprouts come up until their roots are firmly embedded so that's what i feel like the work is to address internal violence in movement spaces because we can't afford not to we are losing too many people we're losing too much 
fighting spirit. We're losing sight of our values, and so we have to definitely be keep in mind that this it needs to be rooted in inter intersectionality. Recognizing that not only are we fighting for oppression, for freedom against white supremacy, capitalism, heteropatriarchy, but we are also fighting to make sure that we are not absorbing those 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 systems and we're not absorbing those forms of violence and perpetuating upon ourselves so exactly that's my that's kind of like my life's work right now i feel well thank you leilani mm -hmm. thank you thank you so much for coming on thank you for sharing your story thank you for sharing your wisdom and uh hope i hope everything works out thank you i can't wait to see what happens mm -hmm. all right thank you everybody for listening catch you on the next one in case you didn't hear the event that Leilani was talking about, it's called Take Back the Night Tucson. It's going to be held April 11th, 2018, next Wednesday. And um, it's going to be from 5 to 9 p.m., 243 West 33rd Street, uh, WYCA House of Neighborly Service. Um, go and support, guys. If you can, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Um, go and maybe even friend Leilani if she accepts it on Facebook, if that's what you want to do. I will be posting that event and its page uh, on the self-talking page and on Twitter and most likely anywhere else I can. Go and support. Um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys.